Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I am joined this week by Cameron. How's it going, Cameron? Hi. Uh, it's going pretty good. It's New Year, new, uh, not much, actually. Nothing's really changed so far. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to be back. How are you it's, doing? <laughs> doing pretty good. It's only been like two weeks, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're it's back. not a huge we're break, just a little it. one. A year later. Yeah. <laughs> 2019 <laughs> somehow already I haven't, I haven't done a monster to monster recording all year i know it's crazy <laughs> i think what, what's crazier is we're about to finish up two years and start our third year of this oh my god somehow. is it has it been that long yeah holy shit and, uh, i mean i know i wasn't there for the first couple of months but <laughs> yeah so February will will roll over into year three. Wow, does an not, institution at this yeah, point. <laughs> it does not feel like it. <laughs> mm. we'll wow, fine. We'll have to figure out something anniversary like to do. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. What are we taking a look at today? I think we're well. What do you want me to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, hey, we're returning to that uh, that veritable cornucopia of delicious eldritch fiction. It's H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and hey, you, you know that you know that great little trivia fact where you should never ever Google Lovecraft the name of Lovecraft's cat. Uh, I, I finally got too curious and I googled the name of Lovecraft's cat and I regret it slightly. Um, I still, I still have refrained from from that particular googling. So uh, yeah, so. it's a little worse than I would have thought, but it's not. I guess not awful. It is pretty bad, actually. No, it's it's. So yeah, don't don't but... apologize for it. It's bad. Just let <laughs> no. it let it be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he couldn't just name it like Yogg-Sothoth or something. He had to go and do something actually genuinely offensive. But anyway, no. But returning to Lovecraft. Hey, our, our annual reminder: Lovecraft's a bit. He's extremely racist, actually. Uh, but he's also dead. So there's that. Enjoy the fruits of his labor without, <laughs> with, the, with the safe knowledge that he won't benefit from it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so we've each picked one of his stories to talk about uh, today slash tonight, because it's tonight for me and it's today for Dave. Uh, I picked The Thing on the Doorstep. Dave, what did you pick? I picked The Haunter of the Dark. Ooh. <laughs> all right um but first things first of course uh as you mentioned we're, we're close to becoming a venerable institution we have our traditions so we start with yokai of the week which is the first yokai of this year which ooh, da, 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 da. um I, I mean everyone knows the drill at this point we've got our big wikipedia page of yokai under all kinds of um alphabetical categorization we randomly generate some numbers with the aid with the aid of what's definitely a dice, not me doing foley work on my desk. Uh, and we talk about that one for a brief period of time. Um, so in the traditional method, Dave, roll them. Ten. Oh, we're doing the letter U. I feel I should have mentioned yes, that. I don't know have. if I did. Should, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I forgot to mention that too. This week yeah. is brought to you by the letter U. For Uwan. Mm. Uwan. A spirit named for the sound it shouts when surprised. Okay, let's go with this. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I love this art so much. Oh my god. It's just a scary guy. <laughs> <laughs> a scary guy. 
hairy man with hairy nipples and black teeth. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's an interesting piece of art. Um, let's see. Uh, an uan in Japanese folklore is a disembodied voice that inhabits old abandoned temples and homes. According to ancient legends, l- legends, legends from Aomori Prefecture, Japan, <laughs> when a person enters one of these buildings, hmm, the legend of Koros, yes, yes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, <laughs> when a person enters one of these buildings, the formless yokai shouts out in an ear-piercing "Uwan." <laughs> the voice is only audible to people inside the building; those outside hear nothing. Since an uwan does not physically exist and only consists of sound, it poses no physical danger. Oh, that's nice. It's, it's it's not a super dangerous yokai for once. I don't know. I'm looking okay. at that boy, and he looks dangerous. Yeah. Well, like it's formless, and so I guess this is just what he sounds like. He sounds like this. This is the artist's interpretation. Which um, <laughs> they must sound pretty scary. <laughs> he's got them hairy nipples. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ancient Japanese legends provide several examples of form- formless yokai, like the uan which consists of nothing but sound, light, or other natural phenomena. In the Edo period, however, these demon spirits assumed physical bodies as artists such as Sawaki Sushi incorporated them into their work. So I guess that's why he gets... Uh, oh, yeah, no, that, that's the artist who did this wonderful this wonderful little sketch, this little watercolor of an Uwan for us. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's um, quite beautiful. Uh, yeah. So to... It's not present in the lore, but if we're going off the beautiful little picture here, um, one thing to note, or at least that I saw immediately, was we we weren't these black teeth. So that is uh, the ohaguro or dying of one's teeth. Um, they used mm. a uh, island. I don't know where it went now. I have a thing pulled up. Oh, it's a ferric acetate, um, kanemizu which okay. uh, they dissolved iron fillings in vinegar and used that solution um, once it was combined with gallnut powder to uh, paint their teeth black. It um, it was to uh, reflect the same beauty as like a black lacquered item. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah. it also served the dual purpose of uh, preventing tooth decay. Hmm. It's interesting. And it fell out of fashion uh, once the Meiji restoration happened. Yeah. Yeah, once people learned how to maintain their teeth properly, question mark. I guess mm, I think it worked for them, you know. And it was a, it was oh, a I mark, mean, it obviously worked beauty but... as well. So yeah, that's one this... of them. That's one of them cultural things I will never intrinsically understand. I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that just means that this is a beautiful boy shouting oh, yeah. at you. He's very, he's very fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> I just can't get over the expression on his face. <laughs> he's just, he looks so happy. Yeah, he's having a great time yelling at people who walk into his house, which I guess, yeah, fair. <laughs> uh, we do have an entry in um, the Night Parade of 100 Demons. So mm-hmm. this uh, is an onomatopoeia, as we think it mentioned, but Uwan is the sound of someone screaming Uwan. Mm. Uh, the habitat, empty temples, abandoned houses, diet. It lives off the fear it causes. <laughs> wow. Okay, yep. Yeah, I mean, he looks he looks hungry. He has that little distended belly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Appearance. Another monster about which little is known, the Uwan is more often heard than seen. It is named for the distinctive sound it makes, crying out from the darkness, Uwan! <laughs> <laughs> no written record of its physical appearance exists, but we have a drawn one. The creature was thought to be formless for centuries. Uh, it wasn't until the Edo period when artist Sawaki Sushi gave the creature its shape that Uwan were considered anything more than fanta- phantom sounds, not phantasmal. Um, interactions. Mm. Uwan are occasionally encountered outside old buildings and temples. They assault lone passerby, lone passersby by leaping out of the mm. shadows and shouting, Uwan. <laughs> the Uwan depends entirely on a surprise attack. Any weak-willed victims who faint at the sight of the Uwan never regain consciousness. Wow, that's unfortunate. Mm. Um, yeah. The Uwan steals their essence and flees into the darkness. However, if a brave individual shouts back, Uwan, then this yokai flees <laughs> and never bothers that person again. Um, oh, he's like the Batman. He's afraid of what he stands for. <laughs> he's like Batman. Yeah, Batman's afraid of bats. That's why he's the Batman. This guy's uh, clearly afraid of the sound Uwan, so he's the Uwan. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Oh, man. All right. Okay, um, legends. A famous Uwan encounter took place in Akita Prefecture during the Edo period. A young, newlywed couple had bought an old mansion and moved in together. On their first night in their new house, they were awoken by a loud voice shouting, Uwan! The shocked couple searched all over and around the house, but couldn't find the source of the voice. The shouting continued for some time, erupting sporadically all night, every night. The couple was not able to sleep at all. Sometime later, the couple's neighbors began to ask why they were always so tired-looking, with bloodshot eyes and disheveled hair. The husband tried to explain about the mysterious voice, but, <laughs> but none of his neighbors claimed to have heard the shouting. Of course, nobody mm. in the neighborhood believed the couple. Instead, gossip quickly began to spread that the newlyweds weren't getting any sleep on account of nocturnal activity of a different kind. <laughs> Embarrassed, the couple ceased asking about the strange sounds. Oh, dear. <laughs> he's not like super malicious i guess he's just got to get a spook to get a scare out of someone so he can eat and then you know the rest is all rumor mill yeah <laughs> until you're stuck in a forever coma because he's frightened you into one yeah true true still he's less scary than some of the other stuff we've covered in this segment yes he's not a head in a tree or Mm, or a horse leg in a tree yeah, that kicks or you. Any number of things in trees, which you know, trends be trends, I guess. Because he um, could, he could be in a tree. I mean, yeah, yeah, tree in a temple or something. Him. Yeah, Sh- shouting yeah. at you with his black teeth from the tree. <laughs> oh god. Uh, so yeah, that was a uh, that was the first yokai of the week of 2019. Welcome back, everyone. He's the poster <laughs> child for 2019. We should all aspire to be like Uwan. 2019, year of the Uwan. I'm into it, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> I will shout at people who mysteriously enter my home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shouldn't you? Yeah. I'd rather hide, but I'll be brave and shout Uwan at them. Um... Yeah, so that that was your guy of the week, everybody. <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> All right, where's my other notes? Mm. 
Whoops. It's okay. Ooh, don't lose your notes. <laughs> <laughs> you need those. I need my notes. They aren't even my notes. They're just pages. Pages. I need mm. to pull back up. Oh, there it is. Hunter of the Dark. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'll just go first. Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Since I brought it up. Uh, so this was written in 1935 and published in the 36th edition, or 1936th edition of Weird Tales. It was the last written of um, Lovecraft's works. Uh, and it mm. is a, apparently a companion piece. It is his response to um Ro yeah robert robert blocks uh who was a contemporary of um lovecraft mm. and a, a younger author um had written a story um shambler from the stars in which uh that author created mm. a character based loosely on lovecraft and then killed him off so to return the favor, um, Lovecraft wrote Haunter of the Dark using the same, uh, mm. at the time was a nameless protagonist, uh, but he fashioned um, his protagonist Robert Blake after Robert Block and um, killed him off in this story. Um, spoiler, he did not, mm. the protagonist does not make it to the end of the story. Or I guess he makes it to the end, but he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Or he starts out dead. He starts out dead because he's he's it's a, yeah. murder, it's a murder mystery in uh of the locked room variety. <laughs> yeah. So the basic outline of the story is um uh Robert Blake is a young university student and also a an aspiring writer of weird and strange fiction. He mm -hmm. um has secluded himself in an apartment on the, I think it's a University Hill or something in Rhode Island, um, and is attempting to busily write uh, and study strange, unspeakable books. Um, mm. He ends up uh, spying from the window across the city a, a strange, steepled church. It's it's mm. dark and eldritch looking as as things yeah. are <laughs> um and it's 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 consuming him it's uh, occupying his waking moments he can't help but keep looking at it and uh he spends i believe it's it's at least a few days possibly a week or even longer debating whether or not he should actually go try to find the church um that's a little strange. Mm. I figured he would have just a day or two later. I'll go find the church, but no, it's like it's a considerable amount of time mm. where he's just debating. It, I guess it just looks too spooky. But um, he he uh, eventually scrounges up the courage and makes his way through these meandering streets and strange paths of the city, um, trying to find this church because once he gets his on University Hill. It's, as the name mm. states, it's up on a hill. He, his vantage point of the city is different than when he's on ground level, uh, and and, yeah. it's a, and that quarter of the city is one that he has not really been to. Um, the it's described as, or at least some of the the boroughs that he has to pass through are unsavory. Um, it's a lot of immigrants uh, areas. Mm. The the quarter where the church finally 
or when he finally um, comes across it is uh, is an up and coming um, Italian community, and it's an old mm. uh, old Catholic church. But its design is a little different than the other 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 churches. There's a uh, uh, Gothic and pagan elements, which is an interesting um, design compilation. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, he he finds it's it, it's abandoned. Uh, and mm. uh, to more to the point when he's trying to to find it um, and he's stopping to ask shopkeepers and merchants um, where this church is people are like refusing to talk about it or they're pretending it doesn't exist so he's wondering if he his vantage from the uh, the his mm. apart- apartment is um, providing him with some like otherworldly view he's seeing things that aren't actually there because it doesn't people aren't acknowledging that there is an actual church somewhere um, mm. but uh, undeterred he keeps striving forward and uh, eventually can spy bits of the uh, the church above the um <clears throat> like on, on the skyline he can see it um yeah and he continues to make his way uh, into that quarter um find it's filled with italians that are superstitious about the church like people are making strange <laughs> hand signs to ward off any mention of the church uh, yeah and, and then he 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 finds a um an upstandingly irish uh policeman and uh that policeman also is reluctant to talk about the church but mm. um informs him that it has been abandoned and he shouldn't go there and the people are avoiding it uh because it's an unlucky place and there had been uh a cult had uh mm. formed itself um in that church uh i want to say it's the cult of the starry something starry wisdom yeah. okay so the church okay. of starry wisdom um had been formed uh, in that church and they were worshipers of Yarlafotep. um the cop mm-hmm. doesn't know that mm-hmm. but that's just what the cult that's what they do um it had been uh established by professor enoch bowen um, who had returned from Egypt after having found the tomb of the unknown pharaoh Nefren Ka, which is a reference, I believe, to another one of uh, Robert Bloch's tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our protagonist, um, Robert Blake, uh, continues on to the church, um, undeterred by the superstition surrounding it. Um, however, the entire time he's been feeling like terrible fears and knowing that his um his decisions to find the church are maybe not entirely his own like he feels like he's being mm. d- drawn there um yeah and he's not yeah. able to avoid that well he he gets to the church uh sees that it's easy enough to sneak in uh and mm-hmm. kind of crawls mm-hmm. in through the basement um he doesn't have any he just kind of did this on the whim. He doesn't have a any kind of yeah. sor- light source. It's it's daylight outside, but the church itself is really dark. Um, so he's he's mm. exploring a lot of it by feel. Um, it's as abandoned buildings tend to be um, uh, filled with dust and um, abominable cobwebs and strange geometries of webbing. It's <laughs> yeah, Lovecraft is like hamming it in on this mm. one. Everything everything is. 10 times um 
I don't know, it's kind of goofy at this point. <laughs> He's just <laughs> going whole whole hog on uh, the descriptions. The, the the story itself, I think it's roughly around 25, 30 pages or so. But it took me okay. about an hour to read it. And the, mm. there's not a lot of actual, like, the events that occur can be, you could have done it in, like, five pages. Yeah. Or, or less. Yeah. Um, he was purple prosing it up. Um, but... Uh, our our protagonist goes through the church, um, finds curious burn marks, and uh, I think it's like sulfurous smells. Um, there's charred uh, pieces of the um, the building, like bits of the mm-hmm. wood in the pews are kind of they're burnt and they have strange yellow powder on them. Uh, he's that he finds that curious, but not enough to threat to like deter him uh and he feels somehow that whatever is drawn him here has has to be like higher up it has to be from the the, yeah. the the steeple or the um or the bell the bell tower so he finds a set of stairs or a ladder something and ascends the church uh which gets him to a a room that um is furnished and decorated uh sparsely but in things that you one would not normally associate with a church but instead with a strange uh cult and um i have oh my phone turned itself off okay um <laughs> in in this um in this room it's a uh, a desk a rotting desk and ceiling high shelves of mildewed disintegrating books with such wonderful titles as the necronomicon the Liber Ivonis, the <laughs> infamous cultus des Gus, uh, the Onesprechlin Kulten of von Junz, and the old Ludwig Prinz Hellish de Vermis Mysteris. Uh, also, some Natonic manuscripts wow. and the fancy Book of Design, which I, I don't recognize that last one, but the other ones have all mm. appeared in one form or another in either Lovecraft's works or in, uh, of course, Robert Bloch's. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, yeah, he digs around a little bit more. Uh, he finds the corpse, the rotted skeleton of one Edwin M. Villibridge, who was a reporter um, for the Providence <laughs> Telegram uh, in... I think there's a, a little advertisement giving a date to the, the body of 1893, which is mm. 40 or 30 or 40 years um, before the story is set. So the, the yes, yeah. sk- skeleton boy has been there a little while. And um, uh, there's a, a leather pocketbook with a, like little note entries um, by the reporter uh, detailing terrible acts that have um been occurring within the i guess the city um due to the cult of the starry wisdom uh and mm. their uh, worship of something called the shining trapezohedron well this is more curious and curious so our our protagonist digs around a little bit more finds a ugly golden case or it's a metal case some sort of ugly box um, and inside the box is a strange spherical object that is super dark and 
there's nevertheless some sort of illumination or something far into the distance within the object. It's um, an unearthly thing. And he realizes, um, after looking at these notes, that it's not a sphere, it is a trapezohedron. Um, so it has many, many sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, I think he finds a... Oh, um, he finds a book that is um, uh, in... It's encrypted. And it takes him some time to decipher that. He, he, he takes that book and maybe one or two others um, back to his apartment. Um he, mm. le- he leaves the place. He's a little bit disturbed by the trapezohedron, and then he also hears noises that he's pretty sure aren't actually rats, um, but he wants to believe they're rats um, somewhere in the, the the upper section of the building. There's a little bit of space above where he's at, and um, in his translation of the book, uh, it it gives a history of the trapezohedron. We find it wasn't crafted on Earth. Ooh. <laughs> um, but has been present on Earth for millennia through the ages and has um, gone through various uh, empires and kingdoms and, and caused ruin of many of them. Uh, and it, it was it was what caused the downfall of the, the Pharaoh Nefren Ka, uh, who, who at the time had buried the trapezohedron in a super dark tomb. But um, it was unearthed by a, I think it was a professor, and brought to the New World, eventually, where it now rests in this little dilapidated church. Mm. But the trapezohedron itself is a a gateway or a a summoning device, um, which it it calls forth the haunter of the, the haunter of the dark of the title. And the haunter of the dark is able to foresee the future or kind of like divine things but it's the cost for such a like a prophecy or a foretelling is like immense and it implies um, either yourself or other human sacrifices something necessary to um, pay for the information you've gained yeah (laughs) and the the problem with it is the haunter once summoned doesn't just go away it, it hangs out. It's not done until it's been paid in full, I guess. Um, and it also adhores light. So a little bit of light bothers it. A lot of light can potentially send it back to whence it came. Um, however, mm. it's uh, the, our, our, our buddy feels that it's still in the church. Um, the, the cult had been um, like killed off or um, um, there's been a fire, I think. So, yeah, there's no surviving members. There's just the thing, I think, since they were killed in a fire, uh, they weren't able, that wasn't able to pay for the summoning cost. And it's just chilling there now. Yeah. Waiting. Um, after deciphering that, he he decides he doesn't really want to go back to the church, um, but he can't, I guess, again, stop thinking about it. It's um, mm. it's it's consuming his waking moments. It's consuming his sleeping time, it, uh, to the point where he's not sure if he can stop himself from going. So when he goes to bed at night, he like ties himself to the bed to make sure he doesn't like leave. <laughs> um, yeah, this this results in him uh, eventually having like a, a waking nightmare um, where he's in the depths of some 
far off alien planet, um, uh, ostensibly where the trapezohedron originated. Um, and he's knows he's dreaming and wants to wake up. Uh, something, some outside um, stimulus like awakens. He thinks it's maybe fireworks that the um, neighborhood's been setting off uh, recently, and it, it snaps him out of his his slumber. And lo and behold, he found um, he has either by accident or design sleepwalked across the city and is now climbing the steps um, or the ladder, I guess, into the um, the belfry of the of the church. Yeah. And he's like, so yeah, quick. no, not doing that. So <laughs> he bounces, he bounces and gets back home, um, realizes that this this haunter is it's luring him or in some mm. fashion wants to um use him as the sacrifice i guess it doesn't doesn't really dig into the motivations of the haunter um and that's yeah. fine but we find out again uh, as as we know that uh, his our, our boy does not meet a um a good end and uh the the haunter is being is being held at bay due to uh like the power grid. There's electric yeah. lights. Um, however, there's been fluctuations within the, the 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 power, and the lights have been going out for like a minute or two at a time at night. Uh, and that's that's also what's been spurring his nightmares. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's not just him. It's the like the Italian quarter is freaked out because they're already worried about the building. Uh, so they've been lighting candles um, at night just in case the power goes out to, to, because they know there's something there. They don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and eventually um, the power goes completely out. There's some kind of strange wind or something that keeps the candles from lighting. So there's a period of like abject darkness and mm. there's a thunderstorm. But the lightning flashes are too far and few in between, and um, he, our, our, uh, our boy here is chilling. He's in his apartment and he's like praying for the lightning. He's like, please, please, <laughs> lightning! But it's, it's, it's not enough. And the uh, the hunter makes his um, escape from the church and mm. ghosts across the city to somehow terrify to death um, Robert Blake, thus ending the story. And it, it ends with um why does it keep sleeping? My phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh where did it go? Where did it go? Oh, here we go. Um oh this is I'll I'll read this little brief bit here. My name is Blake, Robert Harrison Blake of six twenty East Knapp Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am on this planet. Azathoth, have mercy. The lightning no longer flashes. Horrible. I can see everything with a monstrous sense that is not sight. Light is dark, and dark is light. Those people on the hill guard candles and charms. They're priests. This, this sounds like uh, William Shatner. Um, mm. set, there's a lot of ellipses. Uh, sense of distance gone. Far is near, and near is far. No light, no glass. See that steeple, that tower, window, can hear. Roderick Usher, I'm mad or going mad. The thing is stirring and fumbling in the tower. I am it, and it is I. I want to get out. Must get out and unify the forces. It knows where I am. I am Robert Blake. But I see the tower in the dark. There is a monstrous odor. 
senses transfigured, boarding at the tower, window cracking, giving way. Yeah, nigai ng. I see it coming here. Hellwind, titan blue, black wing. Yogsata save me, the three lobed, burning eye. And then it ends. <laughs> there was my dramatic reading. Yeah, I know. Wonderful. Very dramatic. <laughs> so that was The Haunter of the Dark. Awesome. Yeah. But wait, hold on. I hear, I hear something in the distance. What is this? It's. It's. No, is Leonard going to take uh, his cue? Uh, 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 there is. Uh, uh, hello? From some far away distance, we hear a voice. <laughs> oh, oh! From the aeons of sleep, I have awoken to grace you all with my sleepy uh, Red Bull fueled presence. Yeah. Um, uh, it should be noted, Dave, that uh, shutting trapezohedron is the worst uh, celestial seasonings flavor, tea flavor. Um, <laughs> it may cost you your life. Because I did hear something about a, ba- about a bit of sleepy time, and I can attest from experience that uh, mm. shutting trapezohedron is not the <laughs> celestial seasoning of choice. <laughs> duly noted, uh, duly noted. Also, also wanted to point out, uh, you know, if you if you kind of like some Lovecraft stuff, um, audience, hi audience, hi how how you doing, audience? Um, you should uh, maybe check out a game called Sundered, uh, where one of the main NPCs is in fact the shining trapezohedron. Ah, <laughs> cool. I think didn't that just get ported to the Switch? It might have. If it did, I'll have, mm. to, I'll have to take a look. I, I, I skipped that one um, when it's been sitting on the PS4 for a while. Yes, it, a not, year or so. <laughs> not, not, not only, not only, not only uh, is it like your your main level up buddy, um, it also just speaks completely in Raelia. <laughs> so, oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guess i'll have to give that a look mm. uh anyway uh hi everybody hi dave hi cameron hey welcome hi. back leonard what have you brought hi. us from the land of darkness and slumber uh well uh i read uh hp lovecraft's uh short story cool air one that i'm very familiar with um so let's let's break this down um, as 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 with most Lovecraft stories, we have our um, unnamed narrator giving mm-hmm. us giving us the lowdown on uh, why they're afraid of a uh, a, a draft of cool air. Um, and um, uh, spoilers, everybody! It's because something gross happened, and also it involved <laughs> cool air. Um, so, unnamed narrator is staying in a boarding house in, like, 1923, um, mm. full of immigrants and, you know, the the usual Lovecraft, old man shakes fist at, at clouds, rabble rouser, um, this is the horror that we're 
we're we're um, <laughs> framing our story around. Um, mm. And it's a, a four story mansion of a brownstone, um, which apparently was built in the late forties. There's a bit of detail about the building that isn't ultimately important because it's really based around one guy's apartment. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, the narrator has been living in the brownstone for about three weeks when uh, the first weird incident occurs. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, ammonia had started seeping in from uh, the ceiling from the apartment above them. Okay. And um, <laughs> yeah, right. Always a good sign. Yeah, right. Always. <laughs> Um, and also, I really like I really like that they mention. Oh, I just suddenly noticed the odor of a uh, of ammonia. Uh, like that's something that you just kind of don't notice until you realize <laughs> that it's dripping into your apartment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, the the landlady whose name I cannot recall. For the life of me, uh, uh, is alerted to the incident and uh, starts crying for a uh, Doctor Munoz, um, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, states that uh, he's he's a very bizarre man and he has some sort of disorder, and that he must keep his apartment. Uh, um, um, uh, above 50 miles per hour or else the brownstone will explode uh, no actually um, he'll uh, he'll he has to keep his apartment extremely cold um, because uh, of, of mysterious sickness that you know, mm. doesn't mm. requires the, the touch of a mausoleum coldness yeah. to uh, he overheats really easily you know how it is right <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, ah, it's Mrs. Herrero. Uh, I believe she also has a son who uh, runs errands for him. Um, so, uh, do, uh, the narrator becomes aware of Dr. Munoz um, and only actually meets the, the good doctor uh, once they have a heart attack. Because <laughs> that, that's how you how you get to know your neighbors. Oh um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially back then, it's either a heart attack or the consumption something to mm. just talk about. Uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, they uh, he drags himself up there upstairs, which is incredible for a heart attack, and also. Mm ill-advised i think yeah. <laughs> making it worse <laughs> if 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 i just relax and don't and don't put in any strain on my heart then i can climb these stairs and save myself um sure the, the yeah right the doctor, uh, Doctor Munoz, uh, opens the door, sees our narrator, and uh, treats them, um, and and uh, banishes the the heart attack 
Um, and of course, the narrator is like, oh, the doctor was certainly a man of birth and cultivation and, mm, mm, and discrimination. <laughs> um, but I think uh, uh, the the uh, overall effect is that uh, the doctor is clearly well traveled. Uh, he he is well read and um, quite knowledgeable, uh, and mm. you know uh, that is a uh, always a theme uh, in Lovecraft's work of the you know the uh, clean cut man of science and and the kind of like peasanty dirty weird uh people mm. um and this guy's also a batman villain <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> he's just got he's got his wife in a tube just in the other room but yes there's there's a complex machine that runs throughout the entire uh his entire apartment that keeps the uh apartment at a specific temperature uh, because that is the best temperature to fight off his disease, um, and and also the the narrator is uh, actually a little repulsed by the doctor. His he's his skin is pallid. Um, yeah, he's always cold. He he doesn't. He looks off in a yeah. way that the the narrator cannot explain quite uh uh until the end of the the story mm. but uh the uh the repugnance of of the doctor is forgotten because of the breadth and width of his knowledge um he's uh traveled all over the world he's read numerous books uh and there's a there's a real sense of admiration between uh the narrator and the doctor as they actually kind of become uh friendly with mm. with one another um but uh as as um as the narrator recovers it becomes clear to them that the doctor's condition is worse uh is worsening uh and uh and has uh begun to acquire uh spices and uh egyptian incense to to litter the apartment with and and burn um and uh the doctor himself becomes more and more panicked as the uh time goes on he's uh now uh uh um taking these um these chemical baths uh that full of uh that that smell and is really just kind of coming un <laughs> coming undone uh mm. as 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 uh time moves on and then in around October, the um, um, the pump in one in his uh, cooling machine uh, breaks, um, 
the doctor summons the narrator by uh, banging on the the floor of his apartment, i.e. the mm-hmm. ceiling of the narrator's apartment, um, to summon him up, which is a, a real big move. Um, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad we're all I'm glad we're all in agreement with with on yeah, that one. Uh, I've stayed in apartments before. It's not nice. <laughs> You gotta get um, the broom out, and then you bang back on the ceiling. Uh, 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 uh. Um, uh, narrator goes up, tries to fix it. Um, there's no, um, to to no effect. Um, and uh, uh, at one point, the doctor's has a spasm and and runs to the bathroom. Um, and returns with his eyes bandaged, um, uh, and the narrator notes that he he never saw the doctor's eyes again. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, and <laughs> yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, the cool, the the cool air's leaving. It's about five a.m. Uh, the doctor has now retired to the bathroom. Um, and is commanding him to uh, supply him with ice and and find a mechanic <laughs> to fix um, to fix the machine. Really, Dave's uh, uh, Mister Freeze reference is actually pretty apt with this one. Um, mm. um, and he's, he sends the he sends the the landlady's child. To, to to fetch ice who he does and and at five it becomes clear that the day is going to be hot which is really kind of like the I, a a nightmare if you think about <laughs> it if you wake up at 5 a.m and you're like oh yeah it feels like it's gonna be 90 because it's, it's gonna like, be us hot one yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, the narrator tells the boy, keep bringing the mice, I'm gonna find a mechanic, and runs <laughs> off, and at a, at one thirty returns with the required supplies and two burly repairmen, um, to <laughs> take care of the refrigeration unit. Uh, And Mrs. Herrero uh, tells him that uh, her son went into the apartment um, and uh, uh, ran out and that she uh, was not going to have him do anything uh, again. (laughs) Um, and uh they actually discovered that the door is is to the apartment is is locked um and finally uh they they discover that he's probably locked in the bathroom the the apartment is uh ruined um there's mm. a gross uh 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 thick gelatinous substance all over the place, uh, leading to the bathroom. The bathroom door is locked, and uh, Mrs. Ferrero 
opens the uh, 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 oh wait no opens the apartment and uh, they find um, a pile of Dr. Munoz uh, <laughs> <laughs> really it, it, I kind of imagine like what you think of when Jello's been sitting out in a picnic for too long on a on a hot day? Mm, mm. Just that just that kind of like, oh, that jelly. That yep, really yep. gross jelly. Um, Jello made of people. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh there uh was a there's a uh small uh piece of 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 lovecraft exposition paper uh so that 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 everyone can know what's going on mm-hmm. uh, and uh the narrator reads it and then immediately burns it um um <laughs> uh, and then uh quickly le- um moves on with his life and leaves the apartment but uh really remembers the 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 lines on the note which uh uh reads no more ice the man looked and ran away warmer every minute and the tissue can't last i fancy you know what they say about the will and the nerves and the preserved body after the organs cease to work was good theory, but couldn't keep up indefinitely. There was a gradual deterioration, and not foreseeing Dr. Torres knew, but the shock killed him. He couldn't stand what he had to do. He had to get me in a strange, dark place when he <laughs> minded my letter and nursed me back. And the, and the organs never work, uh, and never would work again. It had to be done my way. Artificial preservation. For you see, I died that time 18 years ago. Pow! <laughs> spooky. <laughs> that wasn't spooky music. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Wow, and that's uh, that's cold there. <laughs> the, the 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 untold story of Mister Freeze. Mister Freeze, the Jello Man. Yes. Beautiful. Also, cool, cool <laughs> air. Could, not to be confused with cold air, but cool. No, air. no, no, cool air. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. Well, moving right along. Uh, so. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this earlier, but I read the thing on the doorstep, uh, which was written in 1933, then published in 1937 in Weird Tales. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is this is an unusual Lovecraft story because we have that most rare of things, a named protagonist, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or a named narrator. At least not really. He doesn't really do much. He's sort of a wet blanket for a protagonist but uh yeah the the story's narrator is daniel upton who begins the story saying hey so you probably heard how i went to the asylum and shot my best friend six times in his cell um but 
it's fine. I'm about to tell you why I'm not a murderer. Uh, and recites <laughs> a terrifying tale to prove his innocence, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so Daniel Upton is, you know, from... Um, da, da, da. My brain just turned off. The place with Mr. Katonic University. Um, nah. He went to Miskatonic University. I'm trying to think of the name of the general area. Raiders <laughs> no, just leaking but... out of my ears. It's because you need, that, you need how... that cool air. I was about to ask, how, how warm is it, Cameron? It's a little warm. Oh, no. <laughs> it was cool yesterday, but it was hot today. Um, yeah. Um, no, so uh, Daniel Upton, our narrator slash protagonist, went to Miskatonic University and met a much younger man by the name of Edward Darby there, uh, who is the person he has apparently killed. Uh, Mr. Darby. Oh, Mr. Darby. Um, they sort of got to know each other while at university through a joint love of the occult. Uh, in particular, Daniel Upton really loved, uh, like, he, he was set on doing, like, all these kinds of crazy illustrations and things, and for his part, Edward Darby, like, at the young age of 18, was writing this really extravagant, like, eldritch horror poetry and stuff. And, you know, they collaborated for a while, tried to get a book together, didn't work out. But they stayed fast friends. They talked about all kinds of things. Um, you know, whenever they come over, in particular, uh, whenever Derby came over, he would knock in a particular pattern and go... That sort of three strokes pause, two strokes knock... And, you know, that's why you always know it's him. Uh, and as well, uh, Edward Derby, not a, not a protagonist, but the story is really about him, uh, was very reliant on his parents, in particular his mother. He was a very dependent man. Uh, you know, uh, and eventually, of course, his mother dies and he gets all depressed because nothing's ever happy in a Lovecraft tale. Um, <laughs> and then he sort of... It sort of transfers that dependence to a female classmate of his, uh, Asenath Waite, um, who, it turns out, is the daughter of old Ephraim Waite from Innsmouth. Yeah, as I uh, say, oh, the yeah. Waites. The Waite girl. Yeah. <laughs> you, you remember the fish people from Innsmouth? Hey, they're back. <laughs> um, I, this is, this, yeah. I bet she's a real catch. Hey. <laughs> Da, 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 da. Yeah, I was gonna say now, um, you can, now you can do that music. Now we get to do that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, um, Edward sort of quickly becomes dependent upon um, this young girl in one of his classes, and again, they have a lot of the same interests. They both know a lot about the occult. Uh, she's particularly into like witchcraft and rituals and the old, the old lore of the Necronomicon and things like that. And after a, a few months, they actually get married and move in together with a few servants coming up from Innsmouth to help uh, help things along in the house. But over the course of a few years, uh, Edward Derby begins to change. In particular, because he was always so dependent on his parents and later his wife, he'd never learned how to drive. But all of a sudden, he started taking these long drives out into the countryside, you know, driving like a professional race car driver, effectively, you know. Describes him like taking corners at speed and drifting and all that kind of thing, basically. It's just um, like the Great Gatsby. Yeah, it's just like the Great Gatsby. Uh, but then half of the time he has to call a chauffeur out to drive him back, and he ends up, you know, huddled in the back seat, like all racked with nerves and anxiety due to being in a car. Um, 
And you know, every, you know, because he, he's got weird. the two personalities: the one, the one F one driver personality, the other person who is afraid of Kapala's personality, uh, <laughs> switching around there. Can, um, can, can this be the? Can this be the premise of the inevitable next Fast and Furious movie, where everybody, everybody, are super race cars until? Just for no reason, they're all just huddled in the back of there. Oh no! Uh, uh, just, because be- yeah, just because. Half, halfway through the movie, Vin Diesel curls up and says, "I can't drive anymore, man." And 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 then we <laughs> we learn because it's all due to an evil Cthulhu spell. Can can yeah can, yeah yeah that's a, that's mean, a good twist. I'd like that. Right? Who wouldn't? <laughs> can't wait to see it in D box. This Go Russian on. villain cursed our protagonists. They, sh- they shouldn't have robbed that museum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've, they've got the statue. They've got the statue just in the back of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dragging it through the streets, it's been chained. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, so returning, returning the story. Um. So yeah, he, he's having these odd, like, very public personality shifts where some sometimes he's really outgoing and confident and, you know, driving like a rock star. And sometimes he's his normal meek and not super, super outgoing self who is terrified of even being in a car. Uh, and, you know, one night he turns up at uh, Daniel Upton's door and in this massive panic and is sort of just gibbering and jabbering and saying... He will never let his wife do a certain thing to him again, but he won't say what the thing is, which a little suspicious, but fair. Just you, you got you you got to trust in your friends to do what's right by you. Um, and you know he also says things like, you know, uh, it turns out her father's not actually dead or anything like that. He th- he's still alive somewhere. He's got to be around somewhere. And then like halfway through this rant, he just stops, turns around, and leaves. <laughs> you know. Uh, Basically, he cuts the conversation off. Blank face walks out of the house, presumably goes back home. Um, and a while later, uh, Daniel Upton gets called out all the way out to Maine to go pick Edward Derby up from the local jail because he just wandered out of the woods half naked in a frenzy one night, um, uh, presumably having driven out all the way to Maine. Um, you know, picks him up in his car and starts driving him home. Uh, and this is where we get another link into things. Uh, we learn that his wife, Asenath, has actually been like piloting his body around and making him do all kinds of messed up occult stuff. For example, she drove him out to Maine to walk down into a deep, deep pit filled with shoggoths and an actor in, uh, in an, and an actor ritual to sort of bring uh, Shub Nigarat into the world or something like that. But halfway through, she lost her concentration and he got slammed back into his own body and just woke up in a pit filled with shoggoths and, you know, fled laughing and screaming out of the woods and got arrested for public nudity, effectively. Um, <laughs> uh, and and then the, the worst part of this is, like, clearly the worst part of this is he's realised that his wife isn't who she thinks she is because his wife is actually his wife's father in his wife's body um older frame is alive he he forced his body uh he forced his soul rather into the body of his daughter and then had his and then poisoned his old body and as a young woman was looking for a man that you know he could manipulate and eventually possess properly because uh one detail is 
before we find out all of this, Asenath's always going on about how you have to be a man to do things properly in the occult. Like, if she had a man's brain and body, she'd be so much better at witchcraft and things like that. And, you know, it's a bit, a bit wow. of an unusual thing to rant yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it turns out maybe a frame just wanted something a little more familiar back to sort of, like, you know, mecha pilot around. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, and you know, there's other clues like whenever, whenever Asnath is like not paying attention to the fact that she's being watched, she writes in a shorthand that's identical to the ones in all of Older Frame's journals and things like that. And then you know, halfway through this really long drive back from Maine, because again, he had to drive for like a day, a full day to go to go get his friend out of jail. Uh, he has like a seizure in the back of the car, and then rapidly changes personality and says, "Oh, you know, I was just." I was really out of it. It was a long trip out to Maine. I'm not feeling too well. Just ignore everything I said. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. That's, Don't worry about it. <laughs> that's that's my yeah, that's my that's my favorite. It's like yeah. oh no. What? What did I say? I said that? Oh, that's silly. I was just that's having silly. Good. I was just yeah. having a good Don't listen to anything. <laughs> um Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh yeah, what? Yeah. I said something about like I only a man's body will 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 work for witchcraft. That's no. Nah, that's that's nuts. Don't listen to that. Um, and then you know he doesn't uh, he doesn't visit his good friend Daniel Upton for a while. Um, you know his his outside visits get you know more and more infrequent. But then after a few months, Darby shows up again and says, "Hey, no, it's all good. It's all sorted out. I figured out a way to force my wife away from me." She didn't realize I had a few like extra protections up my sleeve, like he's implying he's found some secret spell or curse to stop her from continually possessing him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, he's like, I've sorted it all out. I she's she's buggered off somewhere to a coven somewhere else in America. I don't want anything more to do with her. Hopefully she'll divorce me soon. I've sent her servants away because they were creeping me out. I'm renovating the old family home. I'm going to move out of the house we were in. It's all good. Thank you for putting up with me during this trying time where my wife was psychologically abusing me and making me believe I was being possessed or whatever, yada, yada, yada. Um, <laughs> but in, in all this time, like once, once his old family home's properly renovated, he really doesn't want to move out of the house he was living in with his wife. Um... And again, a while later, Upton gets another visit from Darby, who is, who is sort of again in that sort of half mad state. He's ranting and raving about his wife and his father-in-law, and he can still feel her clawing at him, sort of like trying to pull their way in and take him over again. Um, and you know, it's a, it, it's it's really rough for him. He's having a really rough time, and so Upton helps him, gives him something to drink, gives him a place to sleep because he'd be more comfortable in a friend's house than in, you know, the home where horrible things happen to him at the hands of the hands of his wife for a few years. Um, but you know, in the morning he's not any better, so he takes him to a local sanitarium slash asylum and puts him up there. Uh, and you know, like a day later, the sanitarium's like, "Hey, your friend's fine. Actually, he just he just sat up and wasn't insane anymore." <laughs> I don't yeah. believe that. That's I don't believe that. That's the most outlandish thing I've ever heard. A sanitarium releasing somebody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you you know, he's got to stay here just for a couple more days to make sure everything's all right. And you know, to his credit, Danny Upton's like generally concerned about about his friend, and he goes and he visits him and he like looks him in the eyes, and like, "Oh." 
no, that's definitely not Edward. Edward doesn't look at people like that <laughs> and has a very short, very awkward conversation and leaves as soon as he can. Um, and, you know, rides home. It's fine. It's wonderful. He does get this really weird phone call in the middle of the night from, um, from Derby's house. Uh, and he picks it up. He's like, yeah, who's there? And all he hears is, glub, glub. Uh, sort of writes that off as some kind of weird prank which uh, i mean i guess fair um but then a couple hours later he sort of wakes up to hear you know the old familiar knock at the door it's definitely darby his reasons come back maybe he was okay in the asylum after all um and uh and but it's not darby he finds he finds like it, it's like the it's like the three kids in a trench coat trope. It's like this big crumpled <laughs> coat with a hat and a scarf over the face. It's this hunched over dwarfish thing, all concealed up with Darby's spare clothes uh, on his doorstep. On his doorstep, doing doing Darby's traditional one two three pause one two knock, uh, and you know he again he hears glub, 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 and then it hands him like a shakily handwritten letter, <laughs> uh, and he's like yeah cool wonderful um and so he reads the letter and the letter's pretty disturbing because hey you remember when derby said yeah i found a way to protect myself from my wife i sent her away no he just shot her and buried her in his basement <laughs> um <laughs> that's that i mean that's that's technically sending her sending her away yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, he killed her. He buried her body in the in the cellar. But um, it turns out that Asenath slash Ephraim's soul is kind of partially detached already from the body. They're in that sort of that half lich state of being. So the soul didn't move on when the body was killed, and because the body's still there and hasn't been cremated, uh, the soul was still sort of able to get its claws into Derby's proper body and switch places with him again. Uh, and so what happened was. Derby was at his friend's place, got taken to the asylum by his friend who was generally concerned about his health, and then in the cell in the asylum, suddenly woke up six feet underground inside a corpse. Um, you know, clawed his way out, tried to phone Upton for help, couldn't, wrote a letter and dressed up and trudged all the way over. <laughs> like horrible. Yeah, it's awful, awful. So the thing on the doorstep is a half-rotten corpse piloted by the soul of his former best friend. Um, and, the, you know, the note says, please go to the sanitarium, kill my body because I'm not in it anymore. You can feel fine with that. Like, the change is permanent at this point. There's no switching back. I understand that. Just please stop them, this person who's stolen my body. Stop them and burn them because... The problem is it won't stop here. The frame wanted to live on and on forever and ever and ever. And you're the next closest person to, to Edward Derby. <laughs> like you're his best friend. You're the next potential target. You need to protect yourself and burn the body. And, you know, Upton is terrified by this thing that's happened. Obviously he immediately grabs a gun, runs to the sanitarium, shoots his best friend in his cell dead. Um, but here we go. And you know, the last thing he writes is, uh, he must be cremated. He who was not Edward Derby when I shot him, I shall go mad if he is not for I may be the next, but my will is not weak and I shall not let it be undermined by the terrors. I know are seething around it. Daniel Upton. 
uh, his last his last thoughts in this story. Basically, I really hope they don't draw out the autopsy too long. They just jump straight to the cremation because if this take if this investigation takes a long time, I might not make it through this. I might end up possessed. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and that's the end of the story, <laughs> which is I re I really like how this one is. It's got connections to a bunch of other stuff like to Innsmouth, Shabnigarath, and the Shoggoths and things like that. And I like that it's inconclusive in its end, like it leaves room for perhaps everything worked out and Daniel Upton was fine. You know, they did the trial, they went, you were under incredible mental duress, it's fine, we sorted it all out, there's no next of kin left, so we decided a cremation was the easiest way to dispose of the body, and you're fine. Or alternatively, you know, he's now walking around piloted by older frame soul, etc, etc. Who knows? It's a mystery. Um, I mean, there's someone who's probably written an extension to this story, but uh, we'll see. I'll I'll look that up sometime. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was the thing on the doorstep. Uh, it was honestly really enjoyable. It it feels more interconnected than a lot of the other Lovecraft stuff I've read. You get a named protagonist, and um, things are a little more. There's not a lot of unknowable horror in this one, besides you know a hole in the ground full of shoggoths, which is briefly alluded to in like the middle of a three-paragraph rant um, about various things that are going wrong with the character's life. Uh, but yeah, that that was the story. I remember reading that one, but at the, with most of these. Um... It's nice to revisit them because it feels like the first time, uh, with just mm. a just a hint mm. of nostalgia because I I'll remember bits of the plot but not like yeah the, the details, um <laughs> and that and that goes doubly so for uh, something like the Haunter in the Dark where yeah uh, it's a lot of flowery prose and the, the actual <laughs> plot bits were far and few in between so. Mm -hmm. he he spared no expense on the details of the matter um in, in that case he got paid by the word it's fine probably well i mean yeah <laughs> these are put into these <laughs> magazines so yes you would have been paid i think by the word mm -hmm. cool yep so that is three <clears throat> tales of woe uh, from mm -hmm. mr mr lovecraft <laughs> one about one about an an evil evil jewel and two about melted people in, in, in <laughs> yeah <Rome>. actually <laughs> yeah. that that reminds uh, me of the squished figures in um the the phantasm series oh uh, yeah hmm. the little uh, weird dwarf things yes, that, the, were, the, the that were originally from like mars or saturn and then it turned out to be another dimension because that series mm. just goes real weird i mean they're 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 corpses of loved ones squashed down uh, to be able to withstand the harsh gravities of that other environment to mine i think Yes, right. Yes, because that's what you're expecting <laughs> in this horror story starring Angus Scrim is corpse slave labor. Is, yep. is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh. Mm -hmm. So... <sighs> 
Hey, 2019's off to a good start, guys. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how we do. Well, uh, <laughs> I think that that wraps us up for this um, particular episode, unless either of you have anything uh, poignant uh, to add. I, I know I'm, I don't. <laughs> I, uh, I don't. said what I needed to. Yeah, yeah. Don't trust anyone that keeps uh, their place incredibly cold. Yeah, yeah. Don't search cult-occupied, burnt-down churches. <laughs> uh, and uh, don't don't marry people from Innsmouth. Not not to be like, you know, no, no, bigoted no, against no. Innsmouthians. But seriously, it doesn't work out well. No, <laughs> the Innsmouth you know look what? is not the greatest. Oh man. Mm. I I still love the idea that Asnef had the Innsmouth look, and he was like, hey, "Yeah, I can't do Good any enough. better. I can't really do any better." <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, come here, honey. Try to close your eyes while we. Oh, uh, <laughs> makes oh that makes that slow squish sound when she blinks. <laughs> 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 yeah all right well, i think i think we'll go out on that note um yeah yeah <laughs> that wraps us up for this episode we will see you all next time uh i think yeah. on the docket is the film hereditary so mm-hmm. be looking at that one hey um, guess what <laughs> hey guess what there are a lot of themes in that movie that we probably all, that all of our stories covered today so get I mean, ready for that i can imagine i can imagine <laughs> just from the title <laughs> excellent excellent um yep so uh leonard where can folks find yes. you on the internet Oh, I was going to beat you beat me to it. I was going to have you promote. People can find me at Twitter uh, on at Twitter on Twitter <laughs> at Dr. Faust is dead. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they can also find me on YouTube at uh, Dr. Faust is dead, um, where I have my video channel that will be updated one day. Uh, I got a promotion, everybody, and now I Yay. don't have any free time to do any of my dumb nonsense that I was doing <laughs> before because I'm a responsible oh. adult that has to be a manager now. You'll have the time eventually, don't worry. I will. I will actually have the time eventually. Uh, happy to report, uh, even though it was a short week when I got back to work, I only had to work eight-hour days, like a normal thing. So maybe I won't be working 12-hour days for that much longer anymore at Mm. the start of the new year. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, that would would be good. (laughs) Uh, And Dave, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus, which I will put in the notes as always. That's that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm just there. Mm. It's my yeah. one, my one haunt. It's uh, fair. Yes. <laughs> Cameron, how about yourself? Uh, you can also find me on the Twitter. Uh, I'm currently yelling about how I'm horny for Greaser Waluigi. Uh, you can find me <laughs> <laughs> at night underscore twitten. Uh, I have to defend myself now by posting this in the chat. Uh, you can find me at night underscore twitten. Uh, come talk with me about uh, Greaser Waluigi, my new favorite thing that I didn't know I needed. Um, <laughs> and 
but oh, that is I'm pretty also, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm also co-host on a podcast about Warhammer. So if you like Warhammer, check out a uh, Realm and Ruin on most places you find podcasts. Look at him; he's beautiful. <laughs> he looks like he could race a car. Yeah, he really could. <laughs> Oh god, it's twelve thirty. I'm dying. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's still not getting into Smash though. So no, because no, well, Persona stole his invite. <laughs> right. He's the new star in the sequel, Too Fast, Wa Furious. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So that that's where you can find me. Please come, come check me out. If you really want to, you don't have to. I'm not going to force you. <laughs> how, so that, uh, how committed of you, Cam? I, eh, look, do it or don't. Eh. Do it or don't. Look, I'm not going to make you love me, but you should love me. Please make me feel better. <laughs> um, no, we're, we're going to leave it here. Hey, 2019 is going to be good. Good, everyone. I promise I'll show up at least 80% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye y'all later ciao